It's 1130 on Tuesday, the 30th day of March. Tyler Cavalli along with you. It's time for Midday. Thanks for tuning in to the World Voice in Nebraska. The whole gang will be here in just a moment. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen in sports. Big news, as we mentioned last hour, uh, in terms of Husker Volleyball. Uh, their season essentially come to an end, regular season. We will also hear more uh, from Bob Brogan, how stocks are doing so far here on this Tuesday. And we'll also hear from uh, Paul Perkins. Uh, hopefully he'll tell us some more good news about the weather coming up after today and tomorrow. Sounds like things will turn drastically. Uh, more spring-like temperatures coming up on Thursday. But let's uh, send things over to our farm director, and Susan Littlefield. And Susan, how are you doing on this Tuesday? Not too bad. Unfortunately, they put us back in a red flag warning here. So mm. yeah, it's that uh, doesn't bode well. <laughs> not great conditions. We talked about it uh, last hour as well up there in South Dakota. They're getting some nasty weather up there. Uh, they're shutting down Mount Rushmore and everything because some wildfires. Mm-hmm. So certainly something to take serious. Oh, it is so. You know, my grandparents lived on Nemo Road, which is right where that fire is right now. So mm. we have friends that I've known my entire life that live around there. So waiting to hear about their safety and, and how their homes are at this point. But it's definitely dry in South Dakota. So our thoughts and prayers go out to all those farmers out there, too, trying to raise cattle in that kind of weather. That's right. That's right. Well, what do you have for us coming up today? Speaking of weather, we're going to talk a little crop development. Some interesting things coming out of Kansas State University. Everybody wonders what stage their winter wheat is at when it comes out of dormancy. Well, you can say there's an app for that. Literally, uh, more information coming from them on a crop development tool that will help those winter wheat growers assess how far ahead, behind, or on average their crop is. Then at 1245, I'll be back in with Tom Vilsack. The Ag Secretary talks about carbon, biofuels, and what seems to be the slowdown for state jobs. But he does say it's not as slow as it was during the last administration. And then Alex will step back in at 117. We'll hear from Mike Bame as he talks about UNL science literacy. So that's a Tuesday midday from the farm team. All right, good stuff. Thank you very much, Susan. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen in sports. And as we mentioned, big news for Husker Volleyball today. And it's bad on three fronts. One, it's Nebraska-Penn State. That's always one of the marquee matchups of the year. Two, this was going to be the first and only time they could have fans there at the Devaney Center, with this being the final regular season matches of the year for the Huskers. And now without being able to play, Nebraska is going to go a long time without a match. The NCAA tournament doesn't start until the week of uh, April 12th. I'm sure Coach Cook cannot be happy about that so they'll have to be a creative i mean they've got talent there to practice to work against one another but in order to stay sharp that could be tough and they're canceling this match uh for covid 19 reasons correct yes so okay. that's what it comes down to but better safe than sorry right if you're in nebraska and penn state you're headed to the ncaa tournament uh, you don't want to be popped with covid here but still that's a tough break also we'll know by the end of the night who's headed to the uh, final four that's right. All right, very good. Uh, let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks performing? Stocks are lower in trading as another swell higher for Treasury yields adds pressure on big technology stocks. Also, U.S. consumer confidence surged in March. Why? Because of more vaccinations and uh, also government reports that indicate the economy is improving a little bit. Also, U.S. home prices increased a lot in January. Uh, there's a lot of demand right now for houses and uh, out there, and people are looking. All right, thank you. 
Time for regional ag weather update here on this Tuesday. Paul Perkins joining us. And, uh, Paul, well, right now we're inundated with cloud coverage. Uh, it's it's a little bit uh, cooler than yesterday. Are we going to see a warm-up? A nice warm-up as we head towards Thursday on into the Easter weekend. Just a couple of uh, this little bump in the road here for today and tomorrow with these cooler temperatures. Because yesterday we got up to the low to mid-80s over Kansas, including 86 at Liberal. and made it into the upper 70s, so right around 80 for most of us in Nebraska yesterday, including 83 at North Platte mm, and McCook. Wow. And right now, of course, we're looking at temperatures about 40 degrees cooler than that. Uh, but it is Nebraska and Kansas. We're, we're not... Uh, uh, I guess a surprise by that. But we do have a secondary push of cold air moving in right now, and that's bringing in some cloud cover anywhere from about northeast to southwest Nebraska, but on either side of these clouds, we're seeing some sunshine into northwest and north central Nebraska, and also from southeast Nebraska into much of Kansas. Now, I suppose probably the most important takeaway for today is that red flag warning. Yes, uh, the winds will be picking up out of the northwest due to the dry conditions that have developed. You know, still the green, grass hasn't greened up enough. We do have those uh, dangerous fire weather concerns. And now that red flag warning has been expanded to include all areas from west central to central and eastern Nebraska uh, and for counties right along and north of I-80. It has been extended a little bit further to the south, but basically if your county is touching I-80 and then points to the north, you're in this red flag warning this afternoon. And, and probably don't be surprised. Like yesterday, it'll probably increase in the coverage of where they're going to say red flag warning is pretty much the entire listing area yesterday. Yes, uh, and, and due to these just dry conditions and the dry air in place from these north West winds, but um, and, and just need to get everything greened up for right now. So, <laughs> all right, very good. Right now, we do have temperatures uh, across much of Nebraska into the upper 30s to low 40s across the west and central. Temperatures more so in the mid 40s to around 50 as you head towards eastern Nebraska and northern areas of Kansas. Also, some scattered areas of light precipitation that may or may not be making it to the ground from Lexington to Elm Creek down to around Cambridge and McCook. And also maybe some pockets of sprinkles this morning from about Loop City and also towards the central city to York area. Both today and tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with temperatures about 5 to 10 degrees cooler than average as high pressure does build south from Canada. Northwest winds will be gusty up to around 30 to 35. That will team up with the low humidity to keep the fire weather concerns elevated, especially along the north of I-80. If you do have some plants that are already growing in your garden, you may be Need to be aware of some overnight lows that will be dropping into the 20s for tonight and tomorrow night. We haven't said that in quite a while due to the mild stretch of weather, but we are looking at overnight lows in the 20s both tonight and tomorrow night. But dry weather will continue through early next week. Then a nice warm-up on the way for Thursday through Monday with the ridge of high pressure building up from the desert southwest. Temperatures on Thursday slightly warmer than average, but by Easter Sunday, that looks to be our warmest day of the next seven with highs 20 to 25 degrees above normal. The warmer temperatures will continue in the long term. Above normal temperatures remain likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. for Sunday through April 12th, especially the early half of next week. There are indications that this high-pressure ridge will start to break down by the middle of next week with low pressure approaching, resulting in not as warm but still mild temperatures for late next week. 
week through the 12th. For central Nebraska in the early half of April, our average daytime highs are in the low 60s with average overnight lows in the low 30s. Below normal precipitation, a strong likelihood for Nebraska and Kansas the early half of next week. By late next week through April 12th, precipitation near normal to slightly above normal. Key weather factors the markets are considering include varying amounts of rain in the forecast from the Midwest and continued drier weather for central Brazil. A cold front sweeping across the plains in Midwest will reach the Atlantic coast by Thursday. That front and developing low pressure will help to enhance rainfall across the interior southeast. Recently flooded areas of Tennessee where rivers are still running high could receive another inch or two of rain tonight into early tomorrow. Behind the front, freezes for Friday and Saturday could reach as far south as Alabama and Georgia. The rainfall will include the eastern Midwest later this week. A drier stretch will follow, offering field drying and fieldwork progress. Some scattered showers return to the Midwest 7 to 10 days from now. Southern Plains soil moisture notably improved after recent rain for winter wheat and row crop moisture. Drier weather ahead will cause some depletion of that moisture. In the Northern Plains, drought continues to intensify in all but the southeastern portion. A system Sunday into Monday will offer limited rain chances for the Northern Plains. Central Brazil's forecast continues to be mainly dry. Second crop corn in the central and north is in need of soil moisture. Concern getting closer to the start of the dry season. Showers in central Brazil may resume late this week and the weekend, but the forecast models suggest overall dryness could last through April with possible yield reduction for the second crop corn. So these winds, we're not expecting them to be anything like what we saw late afternoon yesterday evening. Yeah, when we had some wind gusts in many areas last night into the upper 40s to low 50s, uh, some very strong winds, a nice quiet evening, and then bam, that front hit and really woke everybody up. I was sleeping at the time, and it was my bedtime by then, and oh, man, it, it was shook noticeable. the house. Yeah, it was noticeable, very noticeable for most in the morning, but none of those today, right? No, just okay. on the breezy level and just uh, been on the dry side, increasing that fire weather concern. All right, so uh, a full night of sleep for Paul Perkins coming <laughs> there we go. tonight. Uh, for a full weather forecast. Where can you find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you. For KRVN's 70th anniversary, we thought we'd revive an old 880 radio promotion, Ham Telephone Time, just in time for Easter. With the hams for the Nebraska Pork Producers Association, listen for your chance to win March 29th through April 2nd, right here on 880 AM. We all know that Easter dinner would not be the same without the mouth-watering ham. KRVN's retro radio ham telephone time will give you a chance to win a free ham for the Nebraska Pork Producers Association. It's that time in the spring where we start to see the regrowth of our winter wheat. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. So knowing the precise growth stage of winter wheat at any given day in the spring can be valuable to the grower. And that's why specialists at Kansas State University have developed a wheat growth stage tool. It can provide producers with the information they need. K-State's wheat production specialist is Ramallah Lalato, and he led the effort to create this online tool that's based on growing degree day data from over 70 sites around Kansas. We were getting several requests from growers on how can I estimate my development of stage of the wheat in my field. And so we teamed up with the Kansas Mesonet, and between the observations that we had, the field observations that we had from Kansas, we were able to back calculate how many growing degrees we needed for the crop to be at a certain growth stage, right? So for example, starting January 1st, that's when these calculations start, 
how many growing degree days do we need accumulated for the crop to reach jointing? How many do we need for the crop to reach boot stage and antithesis and, and so on? And so we developed this growth model that tells us that based on how much temperature has accumulated, what's the range in growth stage that the crop might be at a given region of the state. Now, producers can then use that information in a variety of different ways. According to Lolato, for one, they can get an idea of how far ahead or behind a field is in its development compared to the norm. That tool allows you, for example, to compare to previous years. So if you just want to say, okay, let's say that you that you live in uh, Wichita County, Western Kansas, you know, you can go into that station and see how this year compares to 2016, which was a year when the crop was actually pretty early, right? Or how does it compare to 2020, which was, was a year where in that part of the state, the crop was quite late. So you can really see how this year's crop compares in development to previous years and to the normal as well. And that, of course, can also be helpful in management decisions, such as when to apply a fungicide. You can calculate as well if you have, if you have a given date, right? Let's say that you look in the past and, and, and you don't remember. You, you, you know that the fungicide was applied at a given date, but you don't know what growth stage the crop was then. You just put the, the select the closest weather station, put the date that fungicide was applied, and it's going to give you an estimate of the growth stage the crop was at that location. Those comments are coming from Kansas State University's wheat production specialist, Ramola Lato. This new wheat growth stage tool is free to use, by the way, and is found on the university's weather and climate site. And it is also that time of year where we start to see the weekly crop progress reports being unveiled. We do know tomorrow we'll get a crop planting intentions report. We did receive a news release from the National Ag Statistics Service for the state of Kansas on current crop progress ratings and conditions. This is for the week that ended March 28th with 2.2 days suitable for field work. Now the topsoil moisture in Kansas now is sitting at 4% very short, 8% short, 72% adequate, and 16% surplus. Subsoil moisture is 71% adequate and 9% surplus. Winter wheat conditions are considered 31% fair, 43% good, and 7% excellent in Kansas. As for the state of Nebraska, 36% is considered good, 2% excellent on the winter wheat. I'm Susan Littlefield, Rural Radio Network. Time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen joining us once again. And just joining us, uh, big slash sad news for Husker Volleyball as uh, their last couple of games have been canceled. Yeah, and now I think it makes six matches this year that the Huskers mm-hmm. didn't get to play. Uh, no matches this Thursday and Friday with Penn State due to COVID. What that means now for the fourth-ranked Huskers, who are 14-2, and two, is, well, next up they'll play in the NCAA tournament. The problem is that is until April 14th at the CHI Health Center in Omaha. That's a long time to go without a match. Can uh, they, UNK, maybe, you know, meet up and uh, play against one another? That'd be a fun match, wouldn't it? It would. It would. I, I don't know there. if the Lopers would want to take that at this point. They're missing some of their big guns here in the Loper. spring. but. I mean, it's it's okay to speculate. If if they do decide to get there and play that thing, 
I'll be there. Hey, if the ADs are listening, <laughs> why not? What else? What else you going to do for the next couple of weeks? Right. Uh, the first round once again won't be played in Omaha until April fourteenth. Unbeaten Gonzaga now has to get past USC on its way to the Final Four. The matchup of USC's Mobley brothers against the Gonzaga big men could be one to watch in tonight's regional final. Of course, the Trojans are coming off of big wins over Drake, KU, and Oregon. Gonzaga is in the Elite Eight for the fourth time in six tournaments. Tyler, if there's a type of team that could beat Gonzaga, mm-hmm. it's USC because they are just, well, they're more athletic and they're almost as skilled. They've been flying under the radar, and not a lot of people thought they'd get this far, uh, but I think you're right. They can match up pretty well with Gonzaga. This will be Gonzaga's toughest matchup so far. I would say so. If you've seen any of USC's games when they punched KU in the mouth and took care of Oregon, they're for real. I'm sure Gonzaga is on a full alert tonight. The other regional final, 11-seeded UCLA. Hard to believe they had to go overtime with lowly Michigan State in the first four. <laughs> they got past that one. Now they've been on a roll. Take on Michigan. Look pretty good against Florida State. This will be a fun game. Yeah. Michigan, another team. They have some dudes. Uh, and UCLA, they got some shooters. I, I don't know who comes out with this one. I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan loses, but I think they still win. I think Michigan even shorthanded. Has, has a little bit more than UCLA. The the interesting thing is this is the fifth time these schools have met in the NCAA tournament, including the 1965 championship game, of course, won by the Bruins. With spring practice starting this week, Nebraska head coach Scott Frost met with the media yesterday. Now, one of the big stories this offseason was the fact that Nebraska asked or inquired about getting out of their game with Oklahoma, and Frost was asked about that situation. So I think that the conversation was started to figure out a way to get more revenue to the university. Um, I'm certainly excited about any chance to, like I said, have more home games uh, early in the season. Um, for us in the situation we're in, to only play one home game before October doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, we're excited to play that game. Uh, I hope that, that we can do something with the schedule to make sure our fans can get in and see us uh, sooner and more often. Now, Frost danced around this question yesterday, much like he used to when he was running the option for Tom Osborne <laughs> on the perimeter. He and Nebraska have a point, but it just looked bad a month ago. Well, here's the thing. I, I think if it wasn't Oklahoma, if it was anybody else, if it was Murray State or Charleston, South Carolina, who, who cares? Then I think you may have a, a, a point in saying, listen, we just want to play a home game, more money. Let's be back at Memorial Stadium. But this is a big time rivalry finally being renewed you, you can't miss out on yep, it and nebraska is scheduled to play at oklahoma on september 18th the huskers only home game in the early portion of the season is september 11th versus buffalo that's no gimme they do have a buy on the fourth hopefully they can find someone who will come in for a paycheck that sunny saturday <laughs> and lincoln and make everybody happy well let's hope it's a sunny saturday yeah. we, and let's hope was, it's a good ending let's uh yeah <laughs> things with coach frost since he's been there we've had lightning uh, storms upsets has uh, been great so no. far all right thank you very you much Time for Midday News. Dave Schroeder has now joined us in the studio. And Dave, we're talking fireworks in March. Yes, Nebraskans may soon be able to get more bang for the buck. Mm. As the Nebraskans who buy fireworks in-state could have more choices after Nebraska lawmakers advanced a bill to broaden the kinds that can legally be sold. Senators gave the measure first-round approval on a 40-3 to vote this week. 
The proposal by Senator Julie Slama of Peru is designed to give residents more choices without having to travel to neighboring Iowa or South Dakota where regulations are more lax. It would define consumer fireworks based on how they're classified under federal regulations. Slama casts the bill as a matter of personal freedom, but some senators raise concerns about the impact of large, loud fireworks on neighbors and residents who suffer from war time post-traumatic stress disorder. Nebraska lawmakers gave 45 to 0 first round approval Monday to Lincoln Senator Patty Panzing Brooks' legislative bill that would require human trafficking informational posters in casinos. Clearly law enforcement routinely recognizes recognizes that casinos are hubs for human trafficking. So it is especially important to make sure that these new establishments are among those required to post these signs. These posters increase awareness and help victims find the help that they need. Casinos would be among the places required to display the posters that includes a toll-free telephone number that a person may call for assistance about human trafficking. The posters are also required to be placed in rest stops and strip clubs. Another suspect has been charged in an ongoing Furnace County child sex trafficking investigation. Two charges of felony child abuse were filed in Furnace County Court against 41-year-old Donald Pulliam. They stem from alleged incidents between November and December of 2019. A record detailing more information about the allegation has been sealed in Furnace County Court. Pulliam has been held in Dawson County Jail since his arrest last November on a Dawson County charges of first-degree domestic assault, first-degree false imprisonment, and habitual criminal. The Dawson County case is set for a jury trial in May. An arraignment on the Furnace County charges were not immediately set. And Kansas legislators are working on a plan for setting aside potentially several hundred million dollars in federal COVID relief funds to pay businesses harmed by restrictions aimed at slowing the virus's spread. And that's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. Many are wondering how carbon sequestration is going to work, and is it something that might be presented to President Biden for his work on climate? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Last week, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack had the opportunity to sit down with farm broadcasters to talk about a variety of issues, including carbon sequestration. Well, first and foremost, uh, we're going to make sure that before we formulate any plans, uh, we're going to do what we what the president has directed us to do in the uh, in the executive order and what we would normally do even without the executive order, which is ask for input. Uh, so we put out in the federal registry a series of questions that we want uh, those in the farming community, those in the forest community to respond to in terms of how we best can help and assist in creating uh, support for climate smart agriculture. The president has set forth a fairly uh, aggressive uh, vision of a net zero emission agriculture by the year 2050. This is incredibly important, I think, for the long-term viability of markets for us, both internationally and domestically. More consumers around the world are demanding uh, proof, if you will, of sustainability. And if America can get to a point where we are operating a net zero emission, uh, we would not only help uh, our climate effort, but I think we will also make our products more uh, more marketable uh, in both the domestic and, and foreign markets. Um, Carbon Bank is certainly one of those options. Uh, 
but I would say that uh, any effort in terms of the carbon uh, sequestration or carbon bank has to be designed specifically for farmers. Um, this is not a situation where the existing carbon market system would, would be particularly helpful. Um, it's uh, very cumbersome. Uh, there's a lot of paperwork. It's really not designed for farmers. The, the credit value is not high enough to justify farmers taking the financial costs that might be incurred in embracing some technologies or some practices. So what we need to do is figure out how we can structure uh, an effort that speaks directly to farmers based on the input that they're going to give to us. And then basically creates the kind of incentive that's of interest to farmers, whether it's uh, basically the ability to have credits sold through a reverse auction process, or whether we have a guaranteed price for credits that, that provides the incentive for those interested in purchasing the credits, or we have a circumstance where we're essentially funding and financing the improvements on the farm so the farmer's not in a position to have to incur additional expense, or a combination of those factors or some other factor that might make uh, this market appealing. Then making sure that we walk before we run. Uh, we're not gonna do this in a big, bold, huge way until we know how it might work. So if we do it, when we do it, uh, we'll start uh, relatively small uh, so that we can learn from that experience and build on it so that we have a viable and trusted opportunity uh, if that's what we decide, decide to do. Uh, sequestration is incredibly important. Uh, we're not gonna get, uh, I don't think, uh, to our national goals without incorporating in some way, shape or form carbon sequestration in the rural lands uh, that represent roughly three quarters of the land mass of the United States. Tremendous opportunity for us to increase farm income, create new job opportunities, not just the only way of doing this. I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities to uh, reuse and reclaim uh, methane. I think there's opportunities for us to turn agricultural waste into a variety of different products that creates new revenue streams and lowers the greenhouse gas uh, footprint of farms. Um, I'm excited about this future. I think it's doable. And I think frankly, the farm community is ready for this if it's structured right. And if, they're, if they feel like they're part of it. Uh, and that's what we're, uh, we're focused on doing. And as more COVID relief discussions happen, many wonder from a biofuel sector, what does that mean? Well, that's the reason why we're not in a position today uh, to, to provide the details because we're simply announcing that as we look at the allocation of this $6 billion, biofuels and assistance for biofuels will be part of it, part of that $6 billion disbursement. So that gives an indication to the industry that we recognize that they were left out of previous uh, uh, packages. They won't be left out of this package. We're still in the process of deciding the, the, the details of this. Um, we're going to obviously get additional input. We're going to from from all factors uh, that have been that will be part of this six billion dollars, and then make try to make a determination as best as we can to provide as much help as we possibly can uh, to folks. And that may be that we complement and supplement whatever it is we're doing with the six billion dollars from uh, other re, uh, other programs, as we've done with the five hundred million dollar pot that we announced today. That may be part uh, of something that would be in addition to, if you will, the six billion. Just as the five hundred million is separate from the six billion, um, so it's six point five billion total uh, for that for those two buckets. Um, so it, we're not yet in a position to say precisely how we're going to do this. We're just in we are in a position to say we are going to do something. We're going to do something meaningful for the industry because we understand and appreciate they suffered uh, through a very difficult time. And we know with the last administration, it took a long time to get folks announced into positions, and that includes the state FSA offices. Ag Secretary Vilsack had a very unique comment for that. 
Well, if it were up to me and me alone, uh, we'd have those done by now, but it's not up to me. Uh, the reality is every administration goes through what is called the presidential personnel office. They have roughly 4,000 positions they have to fill. They've had over 50,000 people uh, basically apply for those positions. So they're working through the process. Uh, you know, frankly, we're, we're focused as well on getting our undersecretaries to position. It's going to take a while. That's part of the conversation Ag Secretary Vilsack had with farm broadcasters. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. KRVN went on the air during a blizzard. A lot has changed in the 70 years, but one thing hasn't, our dedication to our listeners. Since 1951, KRVN has been busting through blizzards, and we're doing it again. This year, KRVN, The River, and Cami are giving you the opportunity to win a blizzard-busting Polaris 450 EPS. This ATV is brand new with front and back racks, and we're adding a go light with remote control. It's a complete package for bad weather and good. Blizzard Buster is sponsored in part by The Home Agency, Homestead Bank, Your Journey, Your Bank, Member FDIC, Budkey Power Sports, North Platte, and Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, and Colorado Land Tire Group. From busting through snowdrifts during calving to riding the winter in the fall looking for that perfect buck, the Polaris is a workhorse that's also loaded for fun. Register at Budkey Power Sports North Platte, Homestead Bank, Lexington, and Cozad, and Max Shortstop, Lexington. See more registration locations at krvn.com. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Sometimes you just want to know the whys of the day's markets. And our program, the Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you the chance to ask the marketing experts. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for the Fontenelle Final Bell, Monday through Friday, as we dig deeper into the factors that shape the day's market activity. The Fontenelle Final Bell, weekdays at 217, right here on Rural Radio 880 KRVN. Time for the Midday Business Report. Here's Bob Brogan. U.S. stock indexes are edging lower in afternoon trading as another swell higher for Treasury yields adds pressure on big technology stocks. The S&P 500 was down five-tenths of a percent, even though nearly as many stocks in the index were rising as falling. The spotlight was again on the bond market, where the yield on the 10-year Treasury rose to 1.74%. Its jump this year has forced investors to reconsider paying such high prices for many stocks, particularly the tech giants that were big winners earlier in the pandemic. Yields perked higher after a report showed consumers are even more confident than economists expected. U.S. consumer confidence, meanwhile, surged in March to the highest reading in a year, helped by increased vaccinations and more government economic support. The conference board says its consumer confidence index rose to 109.7 in March, the best showing since it stood at 118.8 in March of last year as the pandemic was beginning to hit the United States. U.S. home prices increased at the fastest pace in seven years in January as the pandemic has fueled demand for single-family houses as the supply for such homes shrinks. The S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller 20-City Home Price Index rose 11.1% in January from a year earlier. Now that's the biggest gain since March of 2014. Prices rose in all 20 cities that are surveyed. DraftKings has bought Vegas Sports Information Network, a multi-platform broadcast and content company delivering sports betting news, analysis, and data to U.S. customers. The acquisition provides more content for DraftKings, 
which has retail or online sports betting operations in 14 states. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. crisis. Palisade Center in West Nyack, New York, has been open since July after it closed for a few months due to COVID-19. But the entertainment features like the Ferris wheel have remained closed. The CEO, Stephen Conjol, says the mall's foot traffic still did okay without the rides and entertainment. It was down about 20 to 25 percent. But we're encouraged because we're still seeing traffic at 75 to 80 percent of the numbers pre-COVID. Malls across the country are suffering. Many had pivoted to amusement park-like entertainment centers with rides and attractions before COVID, but now some of these shopping centers like the Mall of America and American Dream, once destinations because of their attractions, are weighed down. Triple Five Group, which owns Mall of America and American Dream, has accumulated $2.5 billion in loans. A report from CoreSight Research estimates 25% of America's roughly 1,000 malls will close in the next three to five years. Lydia Hu, Fox News. Fox on Tech. New security protocols from Apple aimed at reducing intellectual property theft may only apply to factory workers of the California company and not Apple employees who visit the facilities. The information reports that an internal document it reviewed banned manufacturing partners from collecting facial recognition scans and fingerprint data of Apple employees who visit facilities. The updated security protocols also require increased use of surveillance cameras and component tracking systems to monitor hardware during production. Apple said to CNET that they do not ask suppliers to collect biometric data on employees and follow all relevant laws. With a high street value on products and inside information, Apple has long had security measures in place to protect their devices. Amazon, meanwhile, is ramping up the use of facial recognition technology for workers, and delivery drivers are required to consent to biometric monitoring to keep their jobs and track their driving. With Fox on Tech, Brett Larson, Fox News. We are joined on the phone now by Vice President and Vice Chancellor of the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources, Mike Bame. Uh, Mike, today we're talking about science literacy research at Nebraska. It's something that for quite a while now, Nebraska has been pretty good at. But from what I understand, it's uh, it's getting even better. Tell me more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very exciting. We've had over the last couple of years, and you know this because you're a graduate from this program, the opportunity to bring in some amazing new talent in our um, Department of Agricultural Education, Leadership and Communication. And uh, we're going to talk about one of those uh, new new professors, uh, Dr. Taylor Ruth. The main pipe for science literacy besides uh, our public schools and universities and community colleges, of course, is the media. So we're going to unpack that. Those vehicles for getting information to people um, really set the tone for people's beliefs and their ability then to critically assess what they're hearing, uh, to be able to filter out fact from fiction. So, Mike, from a 30,000-foot perspective, when you talk about science literacy, what exactly does that entail? Yeah, so going right to the heart of the issue means connecting with people. And Professor uh, Ruth conducts surveys, she does interviews, holds focus groups, engages with people to collect data about human influences and preferences related to their decisions. So 
she's as much about interested in the, the media of and the vehicles that we use to convey as information. She's probably more interested, Alex, in understanding how people take that information, how they respond to those stories, that information, how they process it. So I was able to actually take one of Dr. Ruth's classes. She started at the tail end of um, my tenure at the university as a student. But broadly speaking, in IANR, tell me a little bit more about the role that science literacy plays in the whole institute. Yeah, so great question. How you boil all of this down into uh, a cogent um, story that is data-driven really is the effort of IANR's science literacy effort and now we've been at it for 10 years and so you know it comes in multiple ways it comes uh, Alex and in getting into our 4-H youth uh, development program our PK through 12 partnerships but at the end of the day um, even here in Nebraska and I'm reminded when I interviewed Nebraska Extension had just back in 2016 run a survey of 2,000 Nebraskans and they asked the question, is it okay to have DNA in the food that you eat? 47% of the respondents said absolutely not. So these aren't, you know, a tease. They, these aren't Ohioans taking the, a jab at my home state. These aren't Ohioans taking. These are Nebraskans in the third largest, the state with the third largest egg economy. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Consumers are making choices about the food they eat, about the environment, about climate. They're making perceptions about rural America. They're making, having perceptions about farmers and producers. All right. Great things to think about. Thanks so much, Mike. That again, joining us is IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame, broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain trade with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. Liquidation in the grain complex may be the best way to describe it. John, I remember back to the 15th of the month when the uh, CBOT and others allowed the speculative position that funds and managed money could hold in the grains expand. Now, with that coming into the end of the month and into the quarter, are we seeing some of that come in the form of liquidation now of speculative positions, causing some increased volatility to the downside? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there really isn't anything fundamentally that's changed. You know, time is going on closer and closer to harvest, taking away kind of the problems that, uh, you know, Brazil and Argentina could potentially face, although there's a few. And then the U.S. weather story early, you know, is kind of an open window here for planning. So not a lot of momentum, Um, you know, expectations of a trade. First of all, I I just think it's laughable that we can even estimate the amount of stocks we're talking about here. You know, in, in the case of soybeans, you're talking like less than a hundred million, hundred a billion bushels. And of that a billion bushels, you're talking about changes of like ten to twenty billion million, which you know is, is pennies in the jar of what we grow. So it's you know, take it for what it's worth. I don't think you're going to see. I think you'll see volatility around the report, but I don't think prices are going to fall or rise much in the longer in their shorter runs, just because they. You know, got supply coming from South America in the case of soybeans. A lot of the forward demand in the U.S. is based off China, and you know that has not been really a very good trade of late. Uh, anything tied to China uh, is really taking on the chin. 
when you see downside action like this, does that then give some optimal premium to the call so call option side of this market to where if someone wants to be speculative or wants to try and secure upside risk potential in this market, is today the day to kind of look at that type of management? Yeah, I mean, it would be a decent idea. I mean, it's certainly a fixed-risk way to play it. I think the, the thing is, and I hate to equate this to, like, a sports gambling, but a lot of times these, these um, you know, these reports are kind of like a prize fight, and everybody gets all hyped up about the fight, and then the fight's great, and every day there's the action and haymakers, and when it's over, it's like, well, when's the next fight, you know? Because there's nothing really has changed, and I think that's what we'll see here in the shorter run. You know, until we get weather problems, I and mean, there is potentially some issues in Brazil, as I mentioned. I, I think in the case of corn, that's really what you're looking at. Uh, for soybeans, it, it just comes down to Chinese demand going forward and, and acreage. So regardless, though, we've seen the USDA change the number we get tomorrow relative to the June number, which is the actual number, a lot. And last year, it was like 5 million acres. So I think take, take tomorrow's acreage number with a grain of salt. The grain stocks number probably sets the trend for the next couple of weeks. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. But do remember, trading futures and options involve risk and loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. You can listen to the Midday Podcast, sponsored by Devaney Motors, wherever podcasts are available, or krvn.com.